Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Troyer. I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz. Hi, Kat. So I am so excited today to learn from our guest today. Corliss Jackson is the author of Cracking the Federal Job Code, a book she wrote after years of working at the U.S. Office of Personnel Recruiting for Federal Jobs. Corliss is a sought-after speaker and panelist, and in her consultancy, she helps people get jobs working for the U.S. government. She's an expert in building and growing federal careers. Welcome, Corliss. Hello, Kathleen. Hi, Liz. Hi. Please tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I uh, started as a consultant um, right out of college, and decided that I wanted to work for the federal government and didn't really know it would be uh, a challenge to get in and figured out how to do it. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment and um, went to the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, which is the organization that does federal HR for the entire government and learned a whole bunch of information about what to do and what not to do and what I had done wrong previously, um, even though I did get in. And several people approached me when I left there and said, you know what, I'd love to work for the federal government. I've got skill. I've got talent. I've got what it takes to make a great public servant, but I cannot figure out how to navigate through that awful, horrible, horrendous process. Can you help me? And so fast forward through to today, and I have a um, consulting firm, and there's about seven of us, and all we do is help people transition into that federal sector. Wow. So I'm I'm a noob. (laughs) I don't know anything. Help me understand, what's a federal job versus a government job? Like, what kind of jobs are federal jobs? What kind of jobs are you helping people get? So, yeah, so the federal sector is consists of those agencies that we hear about in the news, probably the U.S. Department of mm-hmm. Agriculture, the U.S. Department of the Army. Those are the federal agencies. Um, government consists of both local and state government, and those types of positions in local and state government are kind of quasi-federal in that the process is somewhere in between a corporate sector job search process and a federal job search process. So Mm -hmm. federal is what I mainly focus on, but there's a lot of different iterations of that in terms of the local and the the state uh, government processes. Are all of the federal jobs in the D.C. area or are they geographically dispersed? So about 85% of positions are located outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, okay. It just so happens that D.C. has the most jobs because that's where the headquarters are. Mm-hmm. But you'll find agencies, Department of Agriculture, uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, different agencies have regional offices and state offices. And those agencies have places in the state where they, they hire and in that cascades all over the United States. So, Okay. Well, that's good to know. So you don't have to live in DC to apply for a federal job. Absolutely not. Okay, good to know. And I'm guessing the skills are kind of all over the place. Like, what do you think if someone's thinking, could I even, like, should I even think about this? Like, What are some of the most sought-after skills that you see in these types of roles? So 
Most of the jobs that you will find in the corporate sector, you will find in the federal sector as well. So think of the federal government as a microcosm of the rest of the world in terms of jobs. Um, We have positions in hospitals, positions as analysts, finance, um, healthcare, you know, management, IT, project management, security, librarians, logistics. So there's all, you know, the plethora of jobs in all different categories. Um, I've helped nuclear physicists get jobs and, you know, secretaries and mail mm-hmm. clerks. So um, really the, the span the range of everything. And it, it's a great place to look if you're looking for stability, if you're looking for um, some people look for camaraderie in terms of they want that they feel like they're part of a team or they want to give back um, in a public servant type of way. Mm -hmm. And those are the the kinds of folks who would do well in in a federal government environment. So anyone who is interested in working for the federal government could potentially be a client then? Absolutely. So yeah, there's a lot of Uh, positions in um, usajobs.gov, which is one place that you will find federal jobs. There's about 13,000 positions on any given day. Wow. And those are 13,000 positions across the U.S. And those positions are open and available for mostly for all candidates. Now, has that changed at all? Uh, We're recording this episode in July of 2020. The COVID-19 virus is still uh, has, you know, quite a bit of the country shut down. Has that impacted job availability or created jobs? Yeah. So my staff and I have been uh, going absolutely crazy because the federal government is really doing a lot in terms of hiring right now. So as you know, probably the corporate sector has took a little bit of a downturn Mm -hmm. and federal government is going strong. Um, Most agencies, if not all, have, have pivoted very quickly to virtual onboarding. So they have been hiring people virtually. My little agency that I do some work for and do some consulting for has been sending out laptops to folks and getting IT to to connect them. And they've decided they're not going to probably go back to the office for a couple months, if not, you know, till the next year. So there's a lot of work that is being done in the government that can be done virtually. And, you know, the government is very concerned about the employees and their safety. So they are going to probably continue that. And the government also received a lot of COVID dollars. So on top of the regular scheduled um, budgeting that they have to spend, usually by the end of September each year, they now have another layer of COVID dollars and they're looking to spend those as well. And those dollars don't just span healthcare and health-related positions. They will span research positions, but also the supporting positions for those types of jobs. So budgeting, finance, human resources, mm-hmm. administrative positions, all of those positions are are desperately needed. There's one agency, the Small Business Administration, they have hired 6,000 people over the last four months wow. nationwide. 
to help with distributing um, loan monies for COVID-19. So small businesses are eligible to receive funds for loans to help them stay in business and help them continue their operations. And people have to disperse those funds. So the Small Business Administration is one agency that, and I actually have a a friend over there, and she said they're hiring 3,000 people in the next um, month that they have to onboard. And these are federal positions and they give you experience towards other federal positions. So it's actually a great time to apply to federal government Mm -hmm. work. And um, the opportunities really are, you know, uh, tremendous right now. Awesome. So how can someone pivot from the private uh, sector to federal? So the process for applying for a federal job and landing one is very different than the corporate sector. The criteria against which they uh, look at you and how they're quote-unquote grading you is different, and then the package is different. So the entire thing is just totally different than what most people are aware of and understand. So what I first tell my folks is that when you're looking at a federal position, you definitely want to look at what you bring to the table and what they're asking for. And you will see that information in what we call a vacancy announcement. And I like to tell folks to look at about an 80% match between what they bring to the table and what the uh, announcement reads. And with this 80% match, what that does, it aligns you very closely with the skills that they're looking for, and they can see in your documentation, hopefully, once you once you create that, that you are aligned with um, their requirements. And that's going to get you the most leverage in terms of your job search. Mm. Okay. So it sounds like there's lots of jobs. It sounds like there's a lot of skills that are transferable even from outside of the federal sector. Not to be blunt, but why does somebody need you? I mean, you've got a team of seven people helping people to get jobs. Why did why do people need help? Well, because the process is so different, um, what happens is that individuals who are looking at federal positions will create a corporate sector application package. And that application package usually consists of probably a one to two page resume. Mm-hmm. And in the corporate sector, I'm sorry, in the federal sector, what we do is we like to see somewhere around five pages in a resume. Oh, wow. And people usually um, totally freak out when they hear that. Yeah. Uh, it's not that the HR people like to read an awful lot. It's that they are looking for certain boxes to be checked when they are looking at the resume. And one of the differences between the federal sector and the corporate sector is that in the federal government, we actually have regulations that we have to adhere to regarding hiring. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we have um, a a quote unquote, a Bible of regulations It's called the code of federal regulations, the CFR. And in the CFR that dictates, it will tell you for a specific type of position at a specific salary, what skills the individual you hire has to possess. And so what they're doing is they're looking at numerous applications, the HR folks, and they're comparing those applications to the requirements that are listed in the CFR. Mm -hmm. 
And if you hit the mark, you move forward. And if you don't, you don't. And there are many, many, many people, probably about 90 to 95% of the people who apply to federal jobs will miss the mark. And so a lot of folks will come to me and say, hey, I have the skills to do this job. I have a great track record in terms of my performance in the corporate sector. I can't get through the process at the federal level. What am I not doing correctly? So there's usually two main reasons why applications don't move forward. Number one is that many people apply to a federal job with a less than superior resume in that they're doing it the corporate way and the federal folks need it the federal way. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is that most people apply to jobs that they're not qualified for because they don't use that 80% rule to figure out which jobs to weed out. And they apply to everything under the sun and then they get bored and exhausted and say that the process doesn't work when in reality they weren't focused enough or didn't do enough research to see what they would be best qualified for. We have that in corporate too, where it's (laughs) like, what part of you working as a hostess in a restaurant thinks you're going to be my principal level engineer? I'm thinking none. It just like, I think that there's a rule across all sectors and all everything. If you are not 80% qualified, you're not getting the job. So don't mm-hmm. press, a, even though pressing apply is a one clicker, don't click. You're wasting people's time. Yes. But I'm interested in this resume because what we tell people all the time when we're talking about corporate jobs is keep your resume really clear, bold. Someone's looking at it for five seconds max. Is that, it sounds like that's not even true in the federal section and someone's really reading it and looking at it to see fit. And that's why it has to be so robust. Am I off? So kind of. So two, two things here. Number one, the HR folks are looking at the resumes that come in and they're looking at three main things. So number one, they want to see how you respond to their multiple choice questionnaire. It's called a self-assessment questionnaire. And folks who answer this questionnaire need to do so at the highest possible level that they can. And when I say that, this is a time to market, boast, brag, mm-hmm. use volunteer work, paid work experience, you know, say what your mama would say about you. This is the time <laughs> that you have to do that. Because what happens is this is a computer that is screening you in or out of the process. It's a filter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once you get through that first filter, the HR folks will then scan your resume with human being eyeballs to see if you have the right keywords in there. Mm -hmm. And once they decide you do, and there's no formula for that, they just kind of look it over and say, do you or don't you? And once they decide that you do, you move forward to step three, which is them reading your resume. And at this point, they will read the entire five-page resume of everybody who applied to the job. And this could be 100 people, it could be five people, it could be 500 people, but they will go through that process. It generally takes four to eight weeks just to get through those three steps. Wow. Wow. Yep. And then once that application moves to that third level, they will put these applications in one of three categories. And I think of these as tiers on a cake. Mm -hmm. Bottom tier is not qualified. Nothing's going to move you forward. doesn't matter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Middle category is what I call federal resume purgatory because (laughs) you're applying to the right types of jobs for your background, 
but mm. the resume isn't enough, doesn't state enough, doesn't have enough information in it to get you over the hump. So you're mm. just kind of hanging there. And then the third category, which is where you want to be, is called eligible, referred, or best qualified. And this is the pile that you want to be in. Sure. Normally, from all of the applicants that apply, this will be somewhere between 10 and 30 applicants in number. You know, having that resume that really speaks to uh, the type of job that you're applying to is super important. And that resume is not a, an accomplishment-based resume like the corporate sector. It mm. uh, doesn't highlight just, you know, how many widgets and how many, you know, <laughs> contracts and how many dollars. It actually highlights the skills that you bring to the table mm. that led to those accomplishments. So in the corporate sector, normally you, you, you really focus on the accomplishments and, and what you were able to bear forth um, in terms of, of, of your background into that company or that organization. In the federal government, they want to see what skills did you use, what processes did you embark on to get to the accomplishment. That's what's most important. Now, the HR folks are looking at the skills and the processes that you engaged in. But the hiring manager is actually looking for the accomplishments. So that resume ends up being a marriage between what the human resources people want and what the hiring manager wants to see. And that's why the resume ends up becoming five pages as opposed to two, because you have two goals, two audiences that you have to make happy. And in order to do that, you got to have what the one audience wants and you got to have what the mm -hmm. other audience wants. And together, it usually ends up being between five and seven pages long. Mm, cool. That's that's just so different than the so corporate different. sector, right? We, yeah. Liz and I coach people, you know, every day, you know, try not to have that resume be more than two pages. So well, and succinct and, you know, mm -hmm. say what you did and don't, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean. To take Marcus Upward off the resume. But in this case, you <laughs> might want to have it on there, right? You right. Yeah. So they won't make any assumptions about anything. So in the corporate sector, I think, you know, if you have done something and you state what you've done, there's kind of this underlying understanding that in order to do X, you had to do Y and Z or, or whatever. In the, in the federal government, they won't, uh, they won't assume anything. So if you don't list it on your resume, you don't get credit for it. And if you don't get credit for it, you don't move forward because what they actually do is they look at your resume and they look at the regulations and they do a, a blow by blow. What do you have in here that we need to see? And they check mark the box and then they add up the check marks literally and they move you forward if you have a high number of check marks. And if you don't have any check marks, they don't move you forward. So it's a very structured process because they have to be able to defend their decision if somebody challenges it based on the regulations, not based on favoritism or you're, you know, so-and-so's aunt's brother's cousin and I'm going to hire you. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be, it's, it's much more of a, a structured process. So, wow. I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but like in our world, if you look really good, you're not good for this one that you applied for, but you're good for the one over here, I'll just move you. But in your world, it sounds like you're not moving anywhere if you're not good for the job that you applied for. So if you apply for a job and you're qualified for it based on check marking the boxes and mm -hmm. you make sense for the type of job you're applying to, if mm -hmm. there's another job that's similar in nature in that it's the same type of job in the same job category and it is the same salary range, you can be 
shared with that particular unit, your resume can be shared with that, that particular unit as somebody who might be of interest to them. Doesn't happen often, but it can happen. And in the more progressive agencies, it makes sense because now you have a candidate who's a good candidate and they've already been, you know, their scores already been, you know, graded and they've been looked over. So why not consider them? But, you know, it doesn't happen too often. But that'll never happen from purgatory. No, it won't. (laughs) It only happens when you're the best qualified. So if you're the best qualified, but you came in second, they may share you mm-hmm. if there's another, some, but probably only within that agency, not Correct. across all federal jobs. You know, if they're looking for a finance manager too for the Office of Homeland Security, but there's also a finance manager too at the House Health and Human Services, they're not going to share you that way. They I probably guess. won't. They're trying to come up with some ways to do that. I think mm-hmm. that'll probably be 10 or 20 years out, but wow. okay. <laughs> they, they don't do that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the government moves very slowly. So mm-hmm. <laughs> innovation is uh, not something that uh, happens quickly. So, And are they looking for people with federal experience? Like, do they care if you've got the resume right? You've been coached by you. You've got your ducks in a row. Are, do you have a strike against you if you don't have that federal experience? So I, I would say no, but it does depend on the position. So, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you all have talked about your, you know, your tribe, your lane, industry, that kind of thing. And it's going to depend. So, you know, for me, I can do human resources in any environment. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily um, have the skills to do some other things, but, you know, other people have the skills and maybe they learn them in the corporate sector and they're going to bring them into the federal government. And that's A-OK if they're transferable. Mm -hmm. So if there's a type of um, position that is only applicable to the federal government, they may want more federal expertise. And there are some of those, but most positions are not exclusive to the federal government in terms of the types of skills they require. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be administrative assistant anywhere. You mm-hmm. can manage a program anywhere. You can yeah. do logistics anywhere. So most positions are really, it, it's, it's open to you know, any type of background as long as you can really share your story. Well, the story that an individual brings to the table, I call it their slinky story. And if you think of a slinky, think of a slinky and you have the one side that is attached to something and have the other side that's attached to something. And the story is what's in between. And I say that because your past history has to connect you to your future target. Mm -hmm. But the only way it can do that is if you tell the story about how that happens. So if I'm looking at, you know, my skills in my last position, I have to be very clear about how I am telling my story regarding how those skills are going to be beneficial to my future position. And most people I find just don't tell their story well. So the better you can tell your story and the more you can articulate how your skills are transferable into the federal environment, the better off you're going to be in terms of job offers and opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if I'm our friend, the finance manager too, and can I apply to like all finance manager two roles? Like, is it going to hurt me? Let's say I'm qualified. I'm solidly qualified for this job. Can I apply for more than one across different agencies and different opportunities? Or does that look bad? Or how does that work? 
Yes. So the HR folks do not tell on you if you apply to more than one job. That's a really good thing to do um, because, okay. you know, there's 13,000 jobs out there and they can't keep track of sure. even the, agent, the jobs that are in their own agency. So I would definitely apply to as many jobs as you can. So mm-hmm. I will tell you, once you have a good package, your best strategy is to apply to as many jobs as you can. And mm-hmm. out of those jobs, you'll get some percentage of referrals. Mm-hmm. And out of those referrals, you get some percentage of interviews. But if you don't apply to as many jobs as you can, you're not going to get that many referrals. And then in mm-hmm. turn, you're not going to get that many interviews. So I would definitely focus on having a great package, knowing which jobs you want to target and, and applying to those and then applying across the board. Mm-hmm. I never... Uh, tell my clients, or let me say, I rarely tell my client (laughs) to focus on one agency or a Mm -hmm. a bunch of agencies. You know, every agency is going to have program analysts. Mm -hmm. So look at all the agencies, maybe look at a location, meaning Mm -hmm. like a metropolitan area or, you know, certain zip code, and then apply to every job there that you're qualified for, as opposed to looking at just an agency. Because once you get your foot in the door, it's a lot easier to move around to, you know, you know, better commute or I want to wear my bunny slippers because Mm -hmm. of the, you know, the office is down the street from my, from my home or something like that. But you have to get your foot in the door at some point and that's going to be the hardest thing. And then once you're in, it's like one big happy family and it's easy to move around. Mm -hmm. Um, But most people just have that, you know, the biggest challenge is just getting, getting in. So why don't you walk us through what, how your business, how your company supports these people who perhaps don't have any federal experience. What is, what is the experience like working with your agency? Yes. Normally what we do is we work with folks who are coachable. That's one requirement (laughs) Um, because there's nothing worse than, you know, somebody coming to you and them telling you what to do when they haven't been successful yet. (laughs) That's like really important for people to hear. Yes. So important for all coaching. I think the three of us on this call are all coaches. And if you are not open to coaching and therefore uncoachable, please don't call any of us. Thank you. Good night. You are saying about this awesome coachable person. Really hard. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you hire someone for a reason and, you know, they have expertise and you kind of have to let them guide you. And that's hard for some people. And, you know, as you know, looking for a position, uh, looking for a job, being unemployed, being in a bad place uh, that you don't like to be is anxiety producing. Yep. So I get it, but you have to kind of let, let folks lead you if, if they're the expert. So, so what I do is I will do an intake with um, each individual. And what we do together is build a federal resume for them. So what we need is a couple pieces of information. It's not extensive. And we'll take that information. And from the viewpoint of the HR folks, we will build their resume. So we will build their resume from information that they provide us. And we will build it from the perspective of the human resources person. And we will retrofit their experience into what the HR people need to see. So we build that resume. And then one of the things that I think is really, really important, which we do, and a lot of folks don't do this, but we will do six months of one-on-one coaching to teach individuals exactly what to do, what not to do, 
why to do it and when to do it. Because there's so many different nuances in the federal process that people don't understand. And if you take one misstep and you don't do what the HR folks need you to do, they're going to just put you to the side and they're going to hire somebody else. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that you're staying in your lane and you know exactly Mm -hmm. what to do and how to do it. I also found that a number of my clients were getting interviews, but they weren't getting offers. Mm -hmm. So I'm really big on preparing individuals for the interview. It's a little bit more competitive than the private sector in that there's a panel of individuals and we ask the behavioral-based interview questions, which I know they do in the corporate sector, but it's a little bit more in-depth. And so I like to prepare folks for that interview because number two, number three candidate, they don't get anything. You got to be number one. Mm -hmm. And they usually will interview between five and 15 individuals. So getting to that number one, you guys know this, but the worst thing about an interview is that you don't do it enough. And when you do well, you get the job, so you don't do it again. Right. (laughs) So, you know, we, we really have to be, you know, cognizant of that because it takes a lot to get to a federal interview and then you do not want to be anywhere other than that number one candidate. You don't Um, want to blow it once you get there. Exactly. Exactly. So the other thing is that we work with you to negotiate salary and vacation time. So let's talk about this for a moment. In the federal sector, they will always offer you the low end of the range for the job that you apply to. So they might give you a range of, you know, 50,000 to 70,000. They're always going to offer you the 50,000. You have the opportunity to ask them, and most people don't know this and they don't do it, if they're willing to negotiate. And you can negotiate all the way up to the high end. And there's some criteria that come into play, and there's a way that you have to do this, and there's a format you have to do it in, and there's Mm -hmm. a time frame in which you have to do it in. But basically, you want to ask because a lot of people will leave somewhere between ten and twenty thousand dollars on the table just from not asking. So we work with um, our clients to negotiate salary, negotiate vacation time. The government will want to give you two weeks per year, and you can negotiate up to four weeks per year. And there's also an opportunity to negotiate your start date. And I don't recommend that because things can happen um, between, you know, shutdown, furlough, freeze, those kinds of things. Um, So we want to make sure folks get on board immediately. But there's some ways that you can negotiate through that if you have something going on. Um, and we like to just work with folks on that. So mm-hmm. that's fascinating on the vacation piece. Like, oh my God, you know, yeah. Liz and I have, you know, supported numerous companies on the corporate side, and there's never any flexibility on vacation time. It's what the company offers. Yeah, yeah it's based on your years of service in the field. Okay. So if you have a certain number of years in the field, they'll ask for that information. They'll look at your resume, and they will offer you a different level of accrual for vacation time. Okay. Then you would they would normally offer you. Very interesting. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that if you get that if you end up in the number one slot after going through all the hoops, then you're all of a sudden in the power position. Like they want you, you can negotiate salary, all, vacation. Like the tables kind of turn. Well, sometimes it depends. Okay. So. Okay. I like to call it one and done in the federal government in terms of negotiation. Um, We don't have a lot of back and forth like the corporate sector can Mm -hmm. have because we Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of things to negotiate. So we have like three things. Mm -hmm. Corporate sector, you know, sometimes there's, there's more than three. But 
Um, you ask them, you give them an offer, they tell you what they're they're willing to do, and you either take it or leave it. Corporate sector, it seems that there's some more wiggle room to do some other things there. But once they have given you their negotiated rate or their negotiated vacation time that they want to uh, have you accrue, that is their final answer. So you have to take it at that point or not. Um, most people will take it because when you went into it, you knew what the range was, right. right? And so you knew that bottom number was a possibility. So most people will take it, but they do. I mean, it depends on your skill set. So mm-hmm. there's a, a whole kind of level of uh, positions in the federal government that are really sought after in terms of skill set. So, you know, cybersecurity, IT of any you know, any kind of IT, there's about 20, probably 20 different types of IT positions in the federal government. Most of them are sought after. Contract specialists are very sought after positions. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of positions that are, when I say level, I don't mean level. It's the type of positions that are sought after. And if you are offered a position in one of those, they probably don't want to let you go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to them really, you know, $10,000 $10,000 is probably a drop in the bucket for, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the entire, you know, mm-hmm. trillion dollar federal budget. Right. Um, so it's not as big of a deal as maybe a corporate sector position where, you know, a little bit more limited there. But if you're, you know, in a field where there's a lot of folks, you may find that you could turn down a position and they have another p- person waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends a little bit more on the type of position that you'd be applying to. Mm-hmm. Well, because it sounds like they're interviewing at least 10 people for the most part. And so there is a number two, most likely. But if you're the number one, you can negotiate something, Mm -hmm. but you you can't overstep. You can't overstep. No, you can always ask. And for the most part, they usually, so most of my clients, if you look at a, a typical government pay scale, there's 10 steps in between the bottom of the pay scale and the top of the pay scale. And that's the most prevalent pay scale. There's a lot of them, mm-hmm. but that the most prevalent one is called the GS pay scale. There's 10 steps. Mm-hmm. Um, they will always offer you the step one. I always tell my clients, go for the step 10, you know, go mm-hmm. for the gusto. And most of the agencies where my clients ask, and I encourage them to always ask, they will land somewhere around a step five or six, which okay. is a, about half of whatever the range is, mm-hmm. mid-range. So mm-hmm. you have to decide if that's something that you want to take. Um, again, knowing that you might have been offered the bottom of the range and, mm-hmm. and have to have taken that. So, mm-hmm. And so you mentioned some of the hot folks you know, they're always looking for contracts people and they're always looking for IT. What are the most desirable skills? Like if someone's listening to this, like what are some skills that if they have them, they could be a really good candidate? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the field. So for information technology, for example, they're always looking for obviously the technical skills, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Government loves certifications. (laughs) So, um, and in fact, certifications oftentimes are much more desirable than even a degree. So, you know, I have a degree that's pretty old now. Um, they would much rather see a fluffy new, um, newly acquired certification than anything else. Because first of all, somebody else said, 
that is a good thing for you to have because you passed our test Mm -hmm. and you also have kept up with your studies and your current, whereas my degree has been sitting on my wall and it has a little bit of dust on it. So (laughs) definitely, you know, certifications in any field. So almost every field has some kind of certifications, Mm -hmm. whether it's security, IT, you know, project management human resources, librarian, logistics. So getting the certification is huge in the federal government. Mm -hmm. But just in general, the skills that they're always looking for, problem-solving skills, ability to be a good liaison and communicator because there's a lot of interconnectedness that happens in the government, a lot of um, moving pieces and parts that have to be communicated with. And oftentimes people are not, I won't say often, but many times people are not as friendly as you and I are, Kat and Liz. (laughs) So sometimes navigating through those relationships is important. The other thing that I think is important is understanding how to, you know, document. So writing reports Mm -hmm. or regulatory compliance is huge. So complying with a policy or a procedure, something like that, and just kind of keeping track of some of the red tape that we have and kind of navigating, being able to navigate through that using your communication skills is important. Okay. Can we go back a little bit toward um, the the hiring process, Corliss? Sure. So, you said that it, it can take between, was it four and eight weeks to get your get yourself to the point where they're interested in interviewing you. Is that correct? Yeah. So the timeline is um, interesting. It can take anywhere <laughs> from two to 18 months to land a federal job. Okay. It depends on a lot of different things. So there's a lot of different components that come into play. First and foremost is your package, right? So do you have a good package? Because in the federal sector, we lead with that package. Whereas, you know, in the corporate sector, you might have more opportunities to do some networking or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, you definitely have to lead with your package in the federal sector. So you got to have a good one. And then they take you through a process and just interviewing, um, looking at your package could take uh, four to eight weeks and then interviewing itself could take some time. And then they take you through a background investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the jobs in the federal government do not require a quote unquote clearance. Uh, They require some level of investigation into your background and they're not looking for you to be able to walk on water, but they're looking for you to not be a threat to the federal government. So, you know, you haven't paid your light bill um, because you, you know, went through a divorce or something, or you had um, a bankruptcy or short sale on your home or foreclosure. Those aren't the things they're looking for. They're looking for patterns of abuse. So if you have one or two of those things in your background and you've corrected it, you've paid Uncle Sam for your student loans, or you're on a pay plan for that, Mm -hmm. that's fine. They want to see the plan. They want to see you made an effort. Um, They want to see that you're moving forward. If you have a pattern of, you know, you have 13 bankruptcies and you've had, you know, 15 cars repossessed, you're not a good candidate for the federal government. Mm -hmm. But they're going to look into your background. And for the most part, they're not going to do anything but some investigating into some computer systems. And they may interview your neighbors and have you fill out some forms, things like that. That in itself can take anywhere from a couple of weeks to agencies that deal with security as part of their mission can take eight or more months. 
So you kind of have to add up all these pieces. So you apply to a job. It takes them four to eight weeks to look at your application. They decide they want to interview you. You go through the interview process. That could take maybe another two to four weeks, depending on how many interviews you have. And they can have those via Zoom or video or phone. Um, They're not doing a lot of face-to-face now, obviously, because of COVID, but they are doing interviews. And then after that, they give you a tentative job offer. And during that time is when you can negotiate your, your salary, your vacation time. But simultaneously, the security office is taking you through the background investigation. So it could be, you know, two months would be super fast. The smaller agencies, agencies that can um, move quickly and maybe don't have as much uh, red tape can do that. There's also, you know, the other end of the spectrum and agencies that are large and more cumbersome and take have to take you through a process because they do a clearance or, you know, some kind of extensive background check. They can take much longer. And if you add up that time, it can take, you know, a year, year and a half. Most of my clients will land something in about four to six months. And we are really able to expedite that process just by kind of avoiding some of the landmines and understanding some of the things that you should and shouldn't do. So it's it's definitely a, a long-term process. But, you know, the benefits of working in the federal government are such that people will undergo that process just to have the stability or to have the benefits or to have the work-life balance that they want. So you probably recommend that folks don't leave their current job um, (laughs) until they have an offer in hand that they've signed, correct? Absolutely. And I would probably take that a step further and say until they get a start date, not to do anything and still be cautious then because uh, things can happen. So if an agency uh, offers a start date to you, but that for some reason that program isn't funded or there's administration change and they freeze all federal hiring or something like that happens. Um, I would be cautious, excited, but cautious because (laughs) things can happen that are beyond their control. And even if you have a letter in hand, until you take the, the oath of office and you say, you know, I am a federal employee, you are not a federal employee until usually it's orientation Monday, it's called. Okay. <laughs> so what, how do you do that? Like I'm, you know, I've got my corporate job. I want to work for the federal government. I, I keep my job though, because I know this could take a while. I got to quit and give two weeks. Yeah. So I would make sure all my ducks are in a row and I would forge a relationship that's very close with that HR person. And that way you get to know if there's any kind of, you know, any kind of red flags of any sort. Mm. Usually there's not, but I have, I mean, more than I would like to, I've heard of folks who've left their jobs and, you know, I'll give you an example last year with the, with the furlough, a lot of people left in their jobs and went, you know, decided they were going to not go back to their uh, workplaces Mm -hmm. over the holidays. And the federal government started furloughing and shutting down on December 21. So the holidays came and went and the government did not open back up. Mm 
So people who were scheduled to start a federal job on January 5th or January 12th or January 17th had to wait till, you know, February 4th. Mm -hmm. And now we're, you know, seven weeks past the date that they left their employment. And, you know, they were not expecting seven weeks. They were expecting two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So things can happen and you just have to really be you know, be careful about the decisions that you're making and, you know, do a pros and cons list and, mm-hmm. you know, think about some of the things that, you know, could happen and just try to be prepared and maybe have a, have a backup plan. Mm. So. Wow. So you brought up, you said if there's an administration change, I mean, obviously you've worked with federal employees through different administrations. How does the search change? How does your job change? Like, how does it all affect it? Because every four years you essentially, there's essentially a new boss. Yeah. So every administration freezes federal jobs for some point in time for the beginning of their administration, because they want to get a handle on how many federal employees there are in the federal government. So that always happens. Um, It doesn't affect me as much because federal employment is always at least one of the games in town that is always moving forward. Um, So even when the federal government is frozen or even when there's a furlough, there's still government hiring going on. So believe it or not, (laughs) there is. So, you know, it's really a very stable environment to move into. Um, It's harder to get into it than the corporate sector, Mm -hmm. I think, but it's a very stable environment once you get in and once you arrive, they do take care of you in terms of, you know, moving around. There's opportunities where you can advance. It's it's almost like one big happy family, even though it's between agencies and departments. So it's a challenge. It can be a challenge, but I think that depending on what your goals are, um, one of the things that we do with our clients is we develop a strategy based on goals. So for some people, it might be, you know, I just need a benefits package. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's, I just want stability. I'm, you know, kind of sick of my corporation changing things. For other people, they want work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the corporate sector, they're working 80 hours a week. And yes. in the government, they really do have a good sense of work-life balance. And they try to keep it, you know, to 40 hours a week. Some people want to give back. I have a lot of clients who had a corporate career, very full, very rewarding. And now they've decided that they want to move forward in, in a direction that um, where they can give back and they have more of a connection to the mission of the organization. So depending on what your goals are, and that also includes salary requirements and, and all that good stuff, we try to put together a strategy to help you meet those goals in terms of federal employment because there's just so many different options in the in the federal landscape. So probably a question that should have been asked before, but one thing that Kat and I always tell people for corporate is, who do you know that works there? Employer referrals are the greatest things ever. You want to be referred. It sounds like that's not going to do much for you in federal. So when you first start your search, and you prepared your package and you submit it and you get through to the best qualified list, which is that, you know, 10 to 30 applicant that tier three. If you know somebody mm-hmm. who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows the hiring manager, this is where you can put in um, or have somebody put in a good word for you. Okay. Um, but here's what happens. Most people will say, 
have you been referred to the job? Meaning, have you um, gotten yourself on that best qualified mm-hmm. list? And if you haven't, they don't want to stick their neck out for you okay. because now they're telling, you know, Joe Blow that uh, there's this individual, Corliss Jackson, and she applied to, to the job that you have um, announced and she's a great candidate. And then Joe Blow goes to look at his list of referrals and Corliss Jackson's name isn't on there. And mm-hmm. so now I look like, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit of an idiot because I've <laughs> been floating okay. a name around and that person is did not make the best qualified list. Okay. So most times people will will tell you once you've made the list of eligibles, I'd be happy to you know put in a good word for you. Um, I also tell some of my clients that sometimes you can figure out who the hiring manager is by doing some research. And if that is the case and you can figure out who that is, you might want to just pick up the phone and say, you know, hi, Mr. Smith, I saw that you have a position available. I think I was just referred to that position. I'd really like to meet you. Mm -hmm. That would be something that would be pretty aggressive, but it's not unheard of and it's not something you can't do. Some hiring managers will not understand and they'll think, oh, I can't talk to this person because it's got to be, you know, I I have to kind of have my... um, bear, you know, my uh, boundaries here, but they actually can talk to you. That's not illegal to talk to somebody, <laughs> but they, they can't favor you if that makes sense. So you can stick your neck out there and see what happens. Um, you can, you know, if you know somebody, ask them to put in a good word for you, but for the most part, your package speaks for itself. And that's really where they're going to make their decision from. That's why you want to really take time on the front end to make sure you've got the strongest package you can have exactly. for yourself, which is why exactly. people would want to work with you, right, Corliss? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not easy to write your federal resume. Mm-mm. First of all, it's not easy to write about yourself, yep. right? So we got to get, you know, check mark that box. Hard but to then, be objective, right? <laughs> exactly. And then on top of that, writing something that you don't know about. I mean, it's like, you know, trying to write a research paper, but you don't have a, a, an outline for it. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, just the, the stress of writing the resume, you know, just nearly kills people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're able to take that off, off, off of your hands and then teach you how to leverage it and use it, it really can go far. And we, we really do help a lot of people cut down on, on some of the time that it takes to, to land a federal position. Wow. Great. I, I, I feel like I've, my, the, my whole world's been changed and opened and I can't thank you enough. This is incredible. And I think will help a lot of people that, you know, there are a lot of people looking for jobs right now. There are 13,000 available jobs and high needs jobs in things like IT and finance and really highly skilled jobs. So this Mm -hmm. is amazing. So thank you. And besides buying and reading your book, Cracking the Federal Job Code, how can people reach you and contact you to help them with their search? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are on the web at fedjobresults.com and you can go right to that website and book an appointment with us and we'll do a free consultation to see where you are and see if we want to partner. And if you're coachable. Yeah, that's going to say, so you want to, you know, you want to be open if you reach out and prove that you're coachable. (laughs) Absolutely. Corliss, thank you so much for your time today. It's always lovely to connect with you. And I know that this is just going to be so, so helpful to many of our listeners. So thank you. Great. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. This 
is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>